This podcast is Challenging Opinions and is presented by William Campbell. Thank you for downloading the Challenging Opinions podcast for March 26th, 2018. The advances made in career and social terms by girls and women in recent decades has been remarkable. But what about the boys? Are boys falling behind, or does it just appear that way because of the progress of girls? And if they are, why? And what can or should be done about it? Challenging Opinions is the podcast where ideas are tested. Whether you are left or right, conservative or progressive, devout or skeptic. What matters is the strength of your argument, not the strength of your voice. There's an uncomfortable parallel out there that some campaigners don't like to acknowledge. You've probably seen one side or other of the parallel on Facebook or other social media, depending on what type of self-confirming political views the algorithms think will keep you clicking on ads for as long as possible. One side is a variation on the theme that armed toddlers or lawnmowers or insert other ridiculous cause of death of your choice, that all of these kill more Americans than Islamic terrorists posing as refugees. And it's true, you are literally more likely to be killed by a toddler who gets hold of a gun. Murders by Islamic terrorists in the US have been vanishingly rare in recent years. That depends somewhat on your definitions, but Donald Trump Jr.'s Skittles Bowl was a good example of a misperception. He compared accepting refugees from the Syrian war to eating from a bowl of Skittles, one of which is poisoned. In fact, as was pointed out, to represent the stats accurately, you would need a bowl of Skittles far bigger than an Olympic-sized swimming pool you'd be certain to be dead of diabetes long before you found the poisoned skittle. A rebuttal from the other side of the aisle is strikingly similar. The March for Our Lives was in Washington on Saturday, following the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School shooting, among others. Gun rights advocates make the same point that advocates for refugees make whenever they're talking about school shootings or the shooting of black men by white policemen. Despite the attention that these incidents get, statistically speaking, they're irrelevant. It's true that police kill black men proportionally more than white men, but both statistics are vanishingly rare compared to the overall homicide rate and particularly compared to the homicide rate in the mostly African-American impoverished inner-city communities where a big chunk of fatal police shootings also happen. If numbers are your only driver of concern, then the murder of black men by other black men is, by a mile, what you should be most concerned about. And, by the way, if numbers are your only driver of concern about gun violence, you shouldn't be talking about homicide at all. Most gun deaths are suicide. It's no accident that, depending on what side of the culture war you're on, you get much better about understanding statistics and proportionality, depending on which issue is being discussed. 
If you're on the left, you understand the remoteness of the threat of terrorism in the US, but not the remoteness of the threat of police shootings. If you're on the right, you can put police shootings in the context of tens of thousands of gun fatalities, and a white racist who shoots people at a black church is just a meaningless aberration, but a murdering jihadist somehow represents all Muslims. And before I get too clinically driven by mathematics here, it's worth asking, is the body count the only thing that makes these incidents important? Beds, yes, beds, kill 450 people in the United States every year, just by people falling out of them. And that's not counting the 1.8 million injuries serious enough to trigger a trip to the emergency room. Does that mean that we should be less concerned about anything that claims less than 450 lives a year than we are about beds? Beds account for far, far more American deaths than terrorism. Should we be marching and saying sleeping lives matter? Should we have a war on mattresses? Should we all be sleeping on the floor? Maybe not. First of all, it's worth noting that charismatic causes of death get far more notice than others. That isn't entirely irrational. The slaughter of children in their classrooms gets far more attention than random accidental deaths in the home. Police are the icons of protecting the community. When they appear to carelessly or vindictively kill an unarmed citizen, that provokes outrage. Gang members murder each other. That's what they do. We're right to be angrier when police seem to act like gang members. And terrorist murders are designed to be spectacular, to attract our attention and to trigger us into overreacting. It's also worth noting here that there is slicing and dicing of the stats being done by all sides. People who point out the relative rareness of terrorist deaths usually make sure to start counting at some point after September 11th, 2001. And gun rights advocates are always careful to talk about small subsets of gun fatalities, such as school shootings or murders with assault rifles or mass shootings, as though people killed in other places or with other types of guns or on their own aren't just as dead. But even when they are correct and valid, another reason the raw fatalities are not a good indicator is that we encounter some situations much more frequently than others. At 450 deaths a year, does that mean that beds are dangerous? Of course not. We spend a third of our lives in bed. It would be astonishing if they weren't associated with some deaths. Also, a look at the raw figures would indicate that swimming with sharks is not as dangerous as taking selfies. Eight people a year are killed by sharks, compared to 12 taking selfies. But that doesn't make sense. Billions of selfies are taken each year. Of people killed in accidents, some of those are bound to have died because of distraction, and of those, some will have been distracted by taking a selfie. That doesn't make swimming with sharks safe, either. That's eight deaths in a comparatively rare activity. And here is where part of the outrage that seems to defy statistics is actually justified. The killing of people who never wanted to be in harm's way is particularly egregious. 
even more so when it's someone who people think we should be particularly careful with. That's why school shootings get all that attention, and they're right to get that attention. Those kids and their parents never did anything to even slightly put them in harm's way. They did everything to keep them out of harm's way, but harm came to them. Their deaths are much more charismatic than just another gang murder over just another drug dispute. And most African Americans have nothing to do with crime and drugs, so they don't see that risk as relevant to them. But African Americans can't stop being black, and if that's the risk factor that they see for getting shot by a twitchy cop, then that is relevant. And even if it's vanishingly rare, violence from terrorists is particularly terrifying, partly also because of its randomness. It's totally outside the control of the victim. There is a mountain of psychological research that shows that people are much more scared of things that they can't control. That's why driving is much more dangerous, but far more people are scared of flying. But what I'm really interested in here is the real reasons. Go back to Don Jr.'s ludicrously wrong tweet about the bowl of Skittles. Really, it didn't matter that he was wrong about their proportions, because he wasn't talking about the proportions. He wasn't talking about the supposed poisoned Skittle. He was dehumanising all refugees by talking about people as pieces of candy, and the people who support him don't care that he was wrong by so many orders of magnitude, because for them he wasn't wrong. He and they don't see refugees as individual human beings. They see them as an undifferentiated mass. And, I think, for Black Lives Matter, fatal police shootings are just a convenient hook to hang a whole load of other grievances on. In some cases, they might be justified grievances about less serious but still highly corrosive ways that African Americans are treated by law enforcement but they have a real blind spot for the effects of crimes committed by and against young black men. Do you agree? Do you disagree? If you want your point of view heard, email podcast at challengingopinions.com and say what you think. I have on the line now Dr. Warren Farrell. He's been named by the Financial Times as one of the world's top 100 thought leaders. He's currently the chair of the Commission to Create a White House Council on Boys to Men. He's appeared on everything from Oprah to Larry King Live and the pages of Forbes, New York Times, Wall Street Journal. And now he's on Challenging Opinions. Warren, you wrote a book with your co-author, John Gray, that's called Why Our Boys Are Struggling and What We Can Do About It. And I could be a smart ass and ask why are our boys struggling and what can we do about it? But I want to take one step back and just ask, what's the evidence that our boys are struggling? The the boy crisis is in, is in 63 of the largest developed nations. And um, as I studied these, um, the, the statistics and the metrics here, I saw that boys were falling behind girls in every academic area, every academic area, mm-hmm. including math and science, and especially, though, in reading and writing, the biggest predictors of success. 
they're falling behind girls uh, socially. Uh, that is, they have less empathy. They're be more likely to be aggressive and be bullying, um, and therefore they tend to be, have fewer friends and more alienation and withdraw into video games and porn. Uh, they're having more problems psychologically. They're more likely to be depressed and have suicide. Um, and so, and so that was, and I started asking myself, you know, what do developed nations have in common? And what they have in common is two things. One is a high propensity for permission for divorce. And number two, uh, there much greater permission for children being born to mothers who are not married. Mm-hmm. And in both of these groups, the divorce groups and the non-married groups of mothers, uh, there's a huge division, a division between the boys who have retained significant father involvement and those who have minimal or no father involvement after divorce or when they are born to moms who aren't married. And I, I came to call the one, the boys with with minimal or no father involvement, dad deprived boys because they were deprived of advantages in seventy different measurable metrics, um, and versus dad enriched boys mm-hmm. because boys that had dads who were involved um, did so much better in all seventy of those metrics. Do you feel that it is very securely sourced that the single differentiating factor is the involvement of fathers with their sons? Yes, when I got my PhD, one of the things I learned is that you don't confuse causality and um, and correlation. Mm-hmm. And so um, I was very careful to um, the, the the evidence for father involvement or lack thereof being uh, significant is so great that that there was a re- recent census or cons- consensus report um, in which a hundred of the top psychologists and researchers got together, examined all the different types of methodologies that measured father involvement and its impact, uh, controlled for every variable like socioeconomic variable, race, um, mm-hmm. ge- geography, and so on. And they concluded that um, that boys, uh, that boys especially, girls as well, but boys especially without significant father involvement um, did worse in, uh, and then many of these 70 different areas. So areas one like... Question, one question on that, Warren. I'm interested in the direction of causation, and it's obviously very difficult to live the same life twice and you can never find the same person and with just a single variable changed. Isn't it possible that children who are particularly boys who are brought up in a home where their father is not present also have many other risk factors going in parallel with that. How, how, and I can think of the thought experiment and perhaps you've done it, you might comment on it, that one particular subgroup of that might be boys whose fathers died in an accident or died of illness early in their lives. So that would filter for boys who are in the type of home where the father is less likely to be present anyway. Did you study that precisely? Yes. Well, I didn't study it, but but the the people who, um, from Berkeley and Harvard and um, who um, conducted the study that uh, some of the major studies on this issue um, ha- did examine all those divisions and subdivisions, not all of them. There are some. Um, so the, in brief, 
all of these things were almost all of these things that you could logically or um, common sense wise account for, just like the types of things you said they were studied. Mm-hmm. However, there there are differences between uh, some boys have involved fathers, and the mere involvement of a father, especially for a boy makes a significant difference. However, the quality of father involvement the free, um, is also a, a factor, but that's sort of a, um, a degree factor. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, but, but the, you know, and the people but who did specifically, this... Specifically, Warren, on the subset of boys who lose their father in an unexpected way, for example, in a yes, road accident or, or through illness while they're right. um, early in life or perhaps before they're born. Yes, that subset is significantly hurt, but not nearly as significantly damaged as the subset that is um, the ha- that are the children of divorce. The children of divorce have some of the uh, and also children that, that lose their lives, uh, whose fathers get lose their lives in war. Mm-hmm. If their mothers portray the father as a war hero, or even with Barack Obama's case, the mother the fa- the mother was constantly portraying the father as a heroic personality. Mm-hmm. And so when the ch- father is portrayed as a, a heroic personality, the boy is likely to do significantly better. When he dies in a car accident, the grief that the mother has for the father tends to um, make the value of the father um, surface. Okay, but, but pa- it, pause on that, yes. And, and I understand what you're saying, that the mother's continuing attitude to the absent father is, is, uh, has an impact, which itself may flow from the type of uh, father uh, that that man was. But you're saying that where a man, a father, dies in unexpectable circumstances, although that is damaging to the son, it is not as damaging. That does suggest that there are other factors contributing to it, not only the absence of the father. I'm not suggesting that's not relevant, but there may also be other relevant factors Yes, the what, what is what is accurate is that the absence of the father has a significantly damaging effect, and there can be other factors that either increase or decrease that effect. So, if you're looking, for example, at school shootings, um, the lack of father involvement is common to a very high percentage of school shooters, but the availability of guns. Um, magnifies the damage that is that can be done by the the, the damage that is already set in um, by the absence of the father. That, that's a, that's a different debate that I suspect we shouldn't do on this podcast. Um, <laughs> okay, but but uh, nevertheless, I take your point. But you do accept that, for example, a boy being born into the type of family where a father is likely to leave uh, to divorce the, the 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 mother or whatever is also an impact it also has an impact on top of the fact that the father does leave yes that's correct and i mean there there are many factors that exa- that exacerbate okay well magnify, pause, pause, pause on that pause but, on that because that's that's exactly what i wanted to understand because and i'm not accusing you of this but there are people uh, with a political agenda who quote studies by people such as yourself and no doubt others that you're aware of whose political agenda is essentially to make uh, divorce more difficult or to punish divorce and punish family breakup in some other way. That, to me, seems like a, an 
irrational way of tackling the problem, given that the pro- with perhaps uh, some exceptions, for example, where where a father dies unexpectedly, but the there that family was had problems anyway. That's true, isn't it? Yes, I, I think and success, what, what I'm essentially I, I, saying is that yeah. a, 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 a social policy that turned out to be successful, uh, which constrained people from divorcing who would otherwise have divorced, that is, that is not fully supported by your evidence. The, there's more than 2,000 footnotes in the book that document every aspect of what you're talking about. And I, I gather from your questions that you really haven't read the book. But No, I unfortunately, uh, I haven't had a chance to do that. Apologies. And so... Um, it's and, and what and these these factors were studied as as I said by one hundred different um, psychologists and, and researchers that took apart all these types of variables that you are very accurately asking questions about, mm-hmm. and so they, they so they zero in on similar neighborhoods, simi- similar socioeconomic variables, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 then. And in those neighborhoods, especially inner city neighborhoods and especially African-American neighborhoods, there's a high propensity uh, for the fathers to to not be involved. But within those neighborhoods, like in Baltimore and and, um, um, and, and inner, in inner city areas of, of similar socioeconomic um, demographics, mm-hmm. uh, when the fathers leave, there's a significantly greater problem in Baltimore, for example, uh, when the um, fathers uh, when when women had children that were um, it, when they were teenagers and they were and from unmarried uh, par- um, parents, the children of um, of mothers uh, who were unmarried and teenagers when they when they were birthed them, uh, they had a very high likelihood that the girls of becoming pregnant um, with uh, again as teenagers without being married themselves, and the boys had a very high probability of impregnating those girls. However, when fathers were involved with those children, with the, with the, with the mothers and with the children uh, that we're talking about here, um, then that that drop the likelihood of the the new children having teen uh, children themselves out of wedlock without being um, um, uh, as teenagers dropped to zero. Okay, so so you're saying when, that the it's not quite an intervention, but the apparent intervention of a father sticking around has has a dramatic improving effect. A, a dramatic improving effect. I mean, you you know because you're so thoughtful in the questions you ask, you you know how rare it is in in social science research to come up with a percentage of of human behavior that's destructive uh, at, at the zero. Zero percent level because you know, um, and especially in in uh, under um, privileged um, groups, uh, there is a tendency for that. Now, understand, I started my research on all this when I was on the board of directors of the National Organization for Women in New York City, and mm-hmm. they wanted, and because the now um, emphasizes freedom and freedom for women, uh, they very much wanted me to come up with conclusions that uh, children um, who um, are raised by single moms uh, do just as well and you know have are more sensitive and things like that and mm-hmm. actually they are more they are more sensitive but um, on 70 different areas of outcome from addiction to drugs to mental health problems from being depressed committing suicide um, for, to um, 
to be to committing crime, to being mm-hmm. in prison, um, to be the child being likelihood to, likely to be disobedient, delinquent, drink excessively, be a bully, um, drop out of school. Uh, these are all um, have a have be rudderless, have no sense of purpose. Um, this is all. Um, th- these are all very concretely um, um, documented, and um, and that's why the attitude is beginning to change. You know, the laws are almost always behind uh, years behind the, the research, especially when there's a politics involved with the process, um, and the uh, and so it's it's becoming increasingly apparent that. You know, there's 10 causes to the boy crisis that I analyze and, and I found in my research for the boy crisis. But the um, the uh, if uh, somebody forces me in a short interview mm-hmm. to to, ide- to identify the number one cause, uh, the number one cause is um, de- clearly dad deprivation. And that's the cause that has the most ripple effects. Um, OK, I'll, so I'll I, think, I think we've covered there why our boys are struggling. That's the first half of your subtitle. To move on to the second half of your subtitle, what can we do about it? Yes. Well, number one is we can um, dads need to study what they do that's different from what moms do and how those things that they do add to the add value to the parenting process. So, for example, and there's a huge amount of misunderstandings about this. So we now know, for example, what we didn't know before, that roughhousing helps children of both sexes make distinctions between what is being assertive and what is being aggressive. Uh, We didn't know that. So when moms look at dad's roughhousing, Mm -hmm. they're thinking, um, you know, Jim, would you take them away from the hitting the head on the couch? They're going to hit their head on the the coffee table. Um, you know, and then they're they're thinking to themselves, "My God, he's just one more child." Um, you know, I, instead of having three kids, I have four kids. Now I have to deal with him. And so, uh, but the, the father fathers did not look at these issues and say, "I." One of the things that's happening here is helping the kids distinguish between when to be assertive, when to be able to, um, you know, to kick me in the groin. Uh, in order to win this 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 um, this wrestling match and uh-huh. win not to, um, and, but, yeah, but but I, w- I want to steer you, Warren, and, and what you're saying is interesting. Um, but yeah, I want to steer you know as in terms of public policy, what can we do about it? Yes. Yeah, so what we can do about it is a lot of things. We can the first thing that we need to do about it is do is do private policy we need to we need to set the message out there that um that fathers have value and communicate to dads that they do have value to to reframe fathering as being let's say a father warrior uh, rather than just uh, being trained to be disposable in in war or to be, be to be disposable by overworking uh, and call, call yourself a warrior or successful when you do that there's a, the, the ch- children benefit significantly more from time with fathers than they do from with money from fathers. So the first thing is to educate the average man about this. So how do you educate the average man? In the United States, I'm working on creating, a, uh, I'm chairing a, a, a commission to create a White House Council on Boys and Men mm-hmm. to begin to begin to change the culture uh, of sending out the message that there is a need for to pay attention to boys and men's issues as well as girls and women's issues. Uh, because uh, when we don't, there are, you know, we're, we're paying out trillions of dollars a year. Uh, one of the things in, in, uh, that I really shocked me doing the research for the boy crisis was seeing that there was um, that when boys were in um, um, that, that when we examined ISIS recruits, 
that mm-hmm. ISIS the ISIS, ISIS recruits are almost all boys without fathers, and the few girls that join are you ISIS, referring to ISIS recruits from the West? Um, from the uh, well, the study was done by three sociologists who um, looked at ISIS recruits. I believe it was in Lebanon, and so I don't know what percentage of them were from the West and what percentage of them were from other um, countries um, in the world. My guess is that there were that they were mixed among different countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it also interested me that the girls who that the, the girls slash women uh, who were interviewed uh, also had that same problem of a lack of father involvement. And if we if we know boys, we know why this is. When boys don't, um, there's the the world is changing very. Oh, so let me let me pay attention, backtrack for a minute. And you said what what can we do about this? So yep. schools, what school what schools can do about this is three very important things. Uh, one is have more male teachers. Number two is um, rejuvenate recess. Recess increases the brain's um, power to think um, more than studying does. Um, and a recess is, uh, and boys need to be able to get their energy out physically in order to be able to sit and concentrate at all. Third, um, the the world has has morphed from um, from muscle to mental for those mm-hmm. children who are not academically inclined. And so, pa- in the pause old days, for a second there. What do you think of Ritalin? Uh, Ritalin works for a short period of time. However, once uh, uh, define works. They, uh, works meaning it a boy it helps a boy concentrate it helps a bo- uh, for a short period of time. However, um, after taking it for a while, it has the reverse effect. It's like any drug that you take for um, a long time. It, it, it's very it comes very similar in its impact to cocaine. And so John Gray, my co-author, um, you know, wrote four five chapters on what are the alternatives to drugs, prescription drugs. Um, how um, physical exercise, what type of diet and health uh, happen, what type of boundary enforcement needs to happen so the boy needs to learn to be able to to complete tasks and have purpose. One of the great contributions of dads is the tendency to enforce boundaries very clearly. When when boundaries are enforced and the child has no option but to uh, finish his peas before he has his ice cream, if he has his ice cream, uh, then the then the boys tend to sort of be um, able to uh, learn how to postpone gratification. When they can postpone gratification, they're more likely to complete homework. When they complete homework more effectively, they're more likely to be respected in school. Um, or if they complete um, the drills to become, become a good uh, soccer player, they're more likely to be respected in that way. And so boys who have that boundary enforcement that leads to the postponed gratification that leads that lead to success are far more likely to find purpose for to find friends in school and be able to be effective in the world and therefore they don't turn um, to um, to delinquency and to drugs and um, to crimes in order to get attention and they're much less likely to be recruited by gangs uh, or by ISIS okay Warren I want to uh, I want to just pivot the conversation a little bit because I was uh, looking just before we started recording at your book uh, which is listed on Amazon. And Amazon very cleverly suggests people who looked at this book also bought XYZ. Uh, one of the the top book actually suggested was a book called The Feminist Lie by Bob Lewis. And when I clicked through to that very, very quickly, I was going down a rabbit hole of conspiracy theory authors and really 
crackpot theories which uh, held that um, all femi- all feminists uh, were participating in a secretive conspiracy against all the men on the planet, and there was you know really quite crackpot stuff there. You mentioned that boys are not doing as well, are now being outperformed by girls on a whole range of academic metrics. Isn't it possible that girls are just catching up? That's that's what actually that was very. Uh, first of all, um, I, I don't um, I don't control um, the algorithms of Amazon. And of course I, and not. I, no. and, and I and I compl- um, I was on the board of directors of the National Organization for Women in New York City, and very much applaud uh, the expansion of options that feminists um, have created for women. And I have two daughters, and John has three, and we um, you know we want a world where girls are doing better. So, but because the feminist But, but by position, definition, that will make the boys appear to do relatively less well. Is there evidence uh, that there's a significant absolute decline in performance? Uh, the answers are three answers to that question. Yes, yes, and yes. And the um, more than a couple, about a th- 2,000 footnotes at the end of the book um, document that really clearly. Boys' IQs have gone down about 15% based on a European study that was one of the few studies looking at that. Over what period? Um, boys, um, I don't remember the offhand. As okay. I said, there's about 2,000 footnotes in the book. Um, the um, boys are do, are doing um, much worse than they used to do in reading and writing. They're dropping out of schools at much higher rates. Uh, when when we asked them how they liked school 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, and recently, um, their percentage of uh, feeling that, they're, that they have teachers that don't like them um, and that they don't like school um, has gone way up. When we, when we measure um, and, and so whatever metric that I have, have mentioned, um, whether it's the social metrics, it's not just that girls are doing better and boys are the same. It is that boys are doing worse. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, you know, what I hope I make really clear in the, in the Boy Crisis book is why that's the case. And, and, uh, and we, we went over briefly the, um, the bit about the morphing from, um, f- from a, a world in which there was um, non-academic boys um, in the old days, our the space for them has 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 shrunk. The space for non-academic people yes, has shrunk. Because, essentially, because muscle jobs and so forth are gone. Yes, exactly, muscle jobs. And so, uh, so, so, what do we do about that? As you were implying, what we do about that are things like. Um, uh, we uh, we we look around the world and find out where our solutions working. And in Japan, about 25% of students, mostly boys but not all, um, get involved in a very robust uh, vocational training. Mm-hmm. And among those that get involved in that vocational training, um, um, 99.6% get jobs. Among kids in the United States, boys usually who drop out of school. Um, the uh, the the voc- um, the percentage of, of unemployment is twenty percent as opposed to Japan point four tenths of one percent. Warren, I'm absolutely not accusing you of being part of of uh, this um, uh, largely online grievance uh, narrative, but because of the area you study, you're aware that it exists. There is, I mentioned websites like 4chan and uh, hundreds of others, where there is just a mother load of opinion that essentially holds that 
everything that is not good for young males, everything that's not going right for young males, is the result of uh, some elaborate, twisted conspiracy. Isn't that thought process in itself dangerous? Conspiracy theory thinking is the type has the type of is the type of danger that almost every ideology has. As soon as you develop your an ideology that's strong and you become a very big proponent of it, you become part of the problem because there's no every complex problem has a simple solution. And that simple solution is almost invariably the wrong one. But but you're, you're aware that the, that the, the you know the demographic that you're talking about is buying into this particular conspiracy theory in huge numbers, and and I use the word advisedly, the, these uh, people who are buying into this conspiracy theory to a large degree uh, form the from the the online stormtroopers for uh, President Trump. Yes, and that's often so. We liberals, which I am, I was a very strong supporter, financial supporter too of the of the Hillary Clinton, of Hillary Clinton. Um, so we liberals have to take responsibility here. We have to take Trump got elected and Brexit got you know uh, passed um, by similar groups of people, mm-hmm. and there, there there were people that were so the working class men and women who felt that their perspectives were not being heard. And I try, I worked with four advisors to the Clinton campaign, trying to get the, uh, and the advisors agreed with me, trying to get her to understand that there is a boy crisis, or at least look at it. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I completely agree with you that there is a huge degree of alienation, particularly amongst young males. But I wonder, is this just a bunch of people that you just have to flat out say, you're wrong. Males have done hugely better out of society than women for countless generations. That is now balancing out. And that feels like going backwards for for uh, uh, for men who had uh, considerable power in society. Yes, what you're doing um, is is just denying what's happening by not having read the book. Oh, oh you... I, 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 again, I apologize for not being able to, to read the book in advance. I'm not denying, I'm putting the question to you, but you, yeah, please yeah. Feel, feel free to comment. Yes, uh, what's happening is that... Um, the way we have looked at, you know, almost all people you're talking about on the on on the left, including my, including almost all of my friends and colleagues, um, have have made one huge mistake in our advancement for women. Mm-hmm. Is in, in every gender studies program in the world that I'm aware of, um, the 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 belief is that we have lived in a world that is dominated by a patriarchy, uh, which has made rules to benefit men at the expense of women. That's the core um, first premier, premier sentence of all gender studies courses. Mm-hmm. And I, I challenge that because what, what, um, what I explain is that the world was not dominated by a patriarchy. It was dominated by a need to survive. Mm-hmm. And, to, and to survive, our mothers risked their lives in childbirth um, to, be, uh, to bear children. And our dads risked their lives in war to protect the children that women bore. Um, our de- uh, we 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 understood. We we looked at the world and said, "Oh, the people at the top are men." But the people, but what what got men to be at the top was pressure to be at the top. The man who died and who got to be the general risked his life over and over again. Many many men died in the process of trying to get to be the general. But mm-hmm. the the ones that, the ones that survived and made it to the quote top 
are ones that were that that learned when they were boys. That, you know, maybe they had a military father. That the, one of the ways they could get approval and respect was to to be that general, to become that general, to risk their life over and over again. Mm-hmm. And 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 you're millions. dealing with survivorship bias there. It was survivor. Uh, I'm dealing with the fact that the that both mothers and fathers risked their lives to do things for their children, so their children would not have to do uh, would have more options. Go to any go to any um, cab driver, at least in in the United States and in inner cities, and um, it's almost always a male. Even though, uh, and I ask the cab driving companies, do females apply? And they say no. But when they do apply. They want to drive during the day when it's safe. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, and, and ask that cab driver if he drives 70 hours a week because he has more power. Ask the, ask the construction worker. Ask the, um, uh, ask the man who is a CEO um, who is working 70 to 90 hours a week. Um, he understands you don't just become a CEO because you're a man and float to the top. You could become a CEO because you learn as a man that you'll be more valued, you'll be more loved, you'll be more respected. So the pressure on men to succeed is actually a discrimination against men. Warren, Dr. Warren Farrell, along with Dr. John Gray, are the authors of The Boy Crisis, Why Boys, Why Our Boys Are Struggling and What We Can Do About It. It's published by Ben Bella Books this month. Thank you very much for talking to me. It's a pleasure. Have you read a blog post or an opinion piece that you think is really right or really wrong? Tell us why. Email podcast at challengingopinions.com and let's discuss it on the next show. That's all for the Challenging Opinions podcast published on March 26th, 2018. The book that Warren co-authored has just been published and I've got a link to it in the show notes on the website and I have a copy of it too so I promise I will get down to reading it soon. In the meantime, if you know someone who I should interview or if you have a suggestion as to what I should cover, please get in touch and tell me. And if you like the Challenging Opinions podcast, you can click like on Facebook. On Twitter, you can follow the show at Challenging O. And you can also follow Warren Farrell at Dr. Warren Farrell. But most importantly, subscribe to the show for free. You can use Apple Podcasts, Google Play or any other podcast app or software. There's links and an RSS feed for all of that in the website. And if you don't use a podcast app or software, you can subscribe by email. Just enter your email address on the Challenging Opinions website, and each time a new show goes online, you'll get a simple email with the link to listen to it and zero spam, I promise. You can find all of that or get in touch with me at www.challengingopinions.com. The Changing Opinions podcast is produced and presented by me, William Campbell. Thank you for listening. Thank you.